You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Marcin Droz, an exceptional guest and the managing partner of M1 Real Capital, focused on uh, coaching, raising capital, and more than 1,500 units, and all sorts of fun. How are you, Marcin? Excellent. Adam, thank you for having me on the show. Thanks a lot. So uh, uh, thank you so much for being with me today, and I appreciate you taking the time. So, uh, Marcin, your background is super impressive from Poland to Canada to U.S., running huge business, public speaker, and coaching. But I would like to start with beginning. What was the motivation to say I want to start learning real estate? Well, I think I think the beginning for me was I tried the corporate world, and it really, really didn't fit well. I was uh, the most unemployable person I think you could think of, and. I, uh, I had an internship at a, at a major firm downtown and I, you know, I'm on the train I'm, I'm, I'm doing the commute. I'm, you know, I'm doing the school thing like everybody else and, you know, getting the jobs and things like this. And I, I just, I hated it. I hated it so much. I, I didn't hate it for everyone else, but for me, I'm like, I can't do this for 20, 30, 40 years. And I, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet some people in real estate and I just, I looked at that and I said, you know what, that makes sense to me. I can do this. So. But I think you started on uh, private equity. I remember one of your interviews saying that this was an edge for you, that you were oh. on the actual. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the private equity thing came after. So, I mean, I again, I was I was in school, I was supposed to become either a lawyer or something in, in, in that world. And while I was in school, I was doing some internships and I was buying houses on my own rental properties. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like so many other you know kids and people yeah, and yeah. You know, started buying houses. And uh, yeah, it just it, I, I really didn't like the uh, the nine to five world. I didn't want to see my life like that for the next 20, 30 years. And I was fortunate enough to meet some really good people. They took an interest in me and then I got recruited into private equity when I was in my early 20s. Uh, and, you know, like you said, I, you know, dove right into it and uh, that, that, you know, I'm, I'm in my late thirties now. And that gave me a tremendous boost for the first couple of years, because I, I immediately went from buying houses and small little properties to, Hey, we're going to buy a hundred, 200, 300 unit uh, community. We're doing X, the bank is doing Y we're raising five, 10 million, 20 million bucks, whatever it is, you know, go to work. And that was for me at that age was just huge. Yeah, help you to uh, to have a goal because you're you're in the same room with the big sharks and you you started to know what is the next step for you basically. Yeah, I was a minnow swimming with sharks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think uh, because you mentioned that you're Canadian and you're investing in U.S. and personally, one of the major issues stopping me so far to invest in U.S. is. As the issue of uh, the security lawyers and the security issues and as the treating Canadian as aliens. So mm -hmm. you have to have at least two put on, two years put on the ground to invest on multifamily, not uh, regular residential areas. So my question is not this, to be honest. My question is, uh, because you're dealing with uh, big deals right now, I, I know that you're doing, of course, you're dealing with the U.S. security laws, with accredited and investor rules and qualified investors i think canadian law is the same but for you what is, like 
what was the pros and cons when you're dealing with qualified investor between Canada and U.S.? So you ask a really good question, Adam, and I think I'll rephrase it in a different way. If you're so first of all, you're right. As a Canadian investing in the U.S., you might as well be from Portugal or Brazil or anywhere else in the world because Americans, uh, there was a time where Canadian to U.S. wasn't really a big transition, but you know, post 2010, 2012, whatever period of time it was, the rules became very, very uh, stringent. And uh, the term is foreign nationals. So whether you're a foreign national from Canada or you know, uh, pick another country in the world. Essentially, you are alien. You are not local. So, th- there there are different rules. Now, let let let's kind of separate uh, two 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 uh, misconceptions here. So, the doing business in the U.S. as a non-resident or as a foreign national that's one conversation. The other conversation is how you're going to capitalize the investment. So, in in the context of the banks, if you're working with U.S. banks. Well, first of all, the good news is as an American, pardon me, as a Canadian looking at the U.S. banking system, there is a ton of options compared to Canada. In Canada, you have a few banks. They all say no. You have a few private lenders. They say no. You know, you're you're, you're done. You're, you're done. You're, you're finished. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe there's some loan sharks out there. I don't know. But yeah. at the end of the day, you're done. Whereas in the U.S., the capital pools are tremendous. There are so many groups that lend in single family, multifamily, commercial, there's, there's so many different lending options out there. So, you know, that is a benefit. But one of the drawbacks is as a foreign national, i.e. Canadian, you, you are perceived differently. So, so that is an objection you have to overcome. And yes, having boots on the ground, having a partner that's American, there, there, there's various ways. Correct. To they, uh, I checked those banks. I have to have a Canadian American or at least two years on ground with a, yeah. a record of dealing with multifamily. Right. And you can apply for your E1 or E2 visa. There's, Correct. There, there's a look, if the thing is, as a Canadian, if you're going to the US, you have to decide if you're just trying to dip a toe in the water or if you want to be there for an extended period of time. Correct. If you just want exposure to the US, you should likely look to partner with someone else that's already doing it mm-hmm. with your funds because it's not worth the heartache. But if you personally want to commit to building a business in the U.S. with multifamily, then, you know, there's a process. Now, the other thing you said, Adam, is on on the security side with fundraising. So fundraising is a regulated activity in Canada, U.S., abroad. It is regulated. So you have to follow the rules. The simplest way to follow the rules is to keep your fundraising efforts focused. So, for example, you know, with what we do, we try to keep our, if we have, for example, a, a fund or a partnership that we're funding, we try to keep it focused on raising the capital from either Canada or US. That way you deal with the rules hmm. specific to native to that area, as opposed to, you know, the, the problem I see people do is they say, okay, so we're going to buy this building in the US and we're going to raise money in America and we're going to raise it in Canada. And, you know, we have people from abroad that want to invest. And it's like, Okay, great. You can do all of that, but you then have to comply with various rules from the U.S., Canada, and whatever other country you're you're looking to bring money in from abroad. So, for me, you know, the Kiss principle is, is great. Keep it simple, because ultimately, if you're raising a million, two million, five, ten, whatever amount of money you're doing, mm-hmm. if you can if you can focus your efforts from one place you'll have less lawyers to work with. And, you know, usually, usually less lawyers means less bills, less bills. Less I, I didn't know this, to be honest. I didn't know that you can 
comply with the two rules on one deal. But, yes, but, you can well, raise money from two different countries. That's for me news. Well, you can, but you have to create different entities that comply with the different rules. So for example, and again, I'm not a lawyer or an accountant, so you got to check with you got to check with your lawyers. This is just my experience. But yeah. if you have, let's just say, a deal that you're raising for in the U.S., and you have someone who wants to put a million dollars into it from the U.S., and you have somebody, people from Canada that want to invest, you then need to make sure, as I understand it, that you comply with the rules that are native to that American investor at the same time, the rules that are native to that Canadian investor, and. Hmm. Again, that lawyer, that securities lawyer that's going to advise you, you're probably going to have one lawyer on the U.S. side that's that's advising you on that U.S. investor. And then you're probably going to have to have a different lawyer advise you on the Canadian side because there's different rules. So hmm. I, my, my whole point is try to keep things as simple as possible. And sometimes that might mean turning down investment from individuals, but you'll probably simplify your life and reduce your costs if you're able to streamline your focus so my next question is because i mentioned uh, the cons and pros between canada and us and we can go, go to this point but uh, um, are you always working with accredited investors and you know that like compl- complication here when you're presenting the deal you don't have to have an actual uh, relationship with the investor he has to have an actual cab whatever household or his own uh, income himself or the actual uh, net worth what if it's not what if someone is coming approaching you and is making only 150 or 200 bear household what is well, going to be your approach well i mean so so my philosophy is i keep it simple i focus on accredited investors because it, it keeps things simple oh, okay uh, there are ways mind you there's a smaller pool of people you can work with if you're only working with accredited investors and that is a drawback to it but ultimately you know accredited investors are the most likely to be able to make a meaningful investment. And for me, it's important that if someone's investing with me, it's not their last dollar. Like I, oh, okay. I, yeah. I want to make sure that, and, and by the way, even if someone's accredited on paper and they're constantly broke and they want to throw 50 or hundred grand into a deal, but I know that they constantly get go broke because they don't know how to manage their own money. I don't want that investor either. Correct. Because I, I don't want the pressure. I don't want that person six months later saying, hey, or, or two years later saying, hey, I invested a hundred grand. Can I get out? Because, you know, I want to buy a boat or I want to go on. And a maybe he's the worst, but maybe he's not going to able to close with you. Well, I mean, look, there's 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 101 different things. But look, I mean, as far as Canada goes, there's something called exemptions. So there's a there, there's rules in the securities laws that are exempt prospectus exemptions. So exemptions from having to file a prospectus like the companies that trade on the stock market and, and things like this yes and, and and when you have a prospectus you can deal with people that aren't accredited and you can deal with all kinds of different people correct so to be able to deal with the public so to speak you need an exemption from as prospectus and you know prospectus is hundreds of thousands of dollars to file most people don't do it because it's expensive and there's all kinds of requirements there one of the most the most popular exemption is the what's called the friends, family, and business owners or business associates, pardon me, FFBA. The thing with the FFBA, as I understand it, is it's the one that typically gets the, it gets abused the most because people, you know, they, they meet people and they immediately say that they're friends. Well, the regulators don't exactly agree with that. And uh, unless you you have a proof sending an emails or something showing that you have this kind of relationship. 
yeah, you have to have a substantial, and again, this is my opinion. There, I don't think there's anything black and white about this, but you have to be able to demonstrate a substantial personal relationship. You can't meet somebody at a conference on Friday and then they write you a check the week after and say, you guys are friends. Well, I mean, right. you know, that that's, I don't think that's sincere. That's fraud. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, look, it certainly isn't a smart way to do things. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't pursue that. So FFBA is one exemption. The other exemption is AI, which is accredited investor. Is this a Canadian that. law or is it a U.S. law? So, so actually, the I don't know. If the, I'm sure there's an equivalent of FFBA in the U.S. I don't know what it's called yeah. offhand, yeah. but I'm sure there's some kind of a mirroring. I've never used that on the U.S. side and certainly rarely use it on the Canadian side. But uh, the accredited investor exemption, there is one on the U.S. side as well. I think the Canadian and U.S. accredited investor exemptions are fairly similar. But again, check with an actual securities lawyer because depending 100%. on where you're operating whether it's you know and, and i'm not informed on this whether it would be texas or florida or if the rules are the same or you know um even within canada there's different interpretations but uh different provinces too uh, you have different security laws but well, and, and this, this this is yeah and this is why i always say keep things simple is it's already complicated enough if you're trying to raise money in canada uh, because as you said, the state, the pardon me, the, the equivalent of states, the provinces are different. Yes, the rules, correct. some of the rules are different. Yeah. And if you want to add more complexity and you want to now say, okay, and we're going to raise money in the US, well, I mean, that's <laughs> that that you can look, lawyers will help you paper anything as long as it's legal and possible. The question is, is it feasible? Correct. Uh, again, you know, you have enough going on trying to do a deal and buy a building and make money for your investors and yourself. You don't need any more complexity, right? 100%. So you're now dealing with a credit investor. What about the beginnings? Uh, it was just a plain 50, uh, 70, 30 shares well, or partnership or? Sorry, Adam, I don't. Follow. I mean, on the beginning, I know that you're now doing this, but who's who's starting is not going to deal with the same, uh, like, uh, procedures i mean he, he's gonna start with a regular joint venture so i think you'll start with regular joint venture and maybe shareholder agreements correct or it was sure. the same so so i mean there's different ways to i think i understand what you're asking so there's different ways to structure deals and i know that people that are buying typically houses with investors or small multifamily properties yes. they'll typically structure a joint venture or, or something along those lines Adam, I'm not really a good person to ask about those because sure. I don't. I've I've never done joint ventures. I went immediately into syndication. from the beginning. Wow. Yeah. Well, again, I went to work in private equity, right? Yeah, away. that's why. So right. I kind of I kind of skipped that part of the work. Yes. The, the business. Yeah. I, I I don't really. I'm not the right person to ask about that. Sure. I know that my securities lawyers, whenever you talk about transactions, they they immediately talk about either corporations, limited partnerships, mutual fund trusts, bonds. 100%. Ventures, these types of things, but yeah, no, I, I I hear a lot of people typically start with joint ventures, and I'm sure there's lawyers that are very competent at that. Um, one thing I can tell you is, as the transactions get bigger, you don't do 50-50 splits anymore. Hmm. You typically end up doing 60-40 or 70-30 or maybe sometimes 80-20. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, why the heck would I do? a bigger deal and get less money, a smaller piece of the pie, if I could do houses and do 50-50? Well, the answer is, do you want half a grape or a third of a watermelon? 
And <laughs> essentially the best analogy for it is a million dollar deal. Let's just say a house that you're flipping or whatever it is and you do 50, 50, there's only so much there that, that, that you can increase in value. Whereas if you take a five or $10 million apartment building and you know, with, with our, with our work, and, and you probably understand this with commercial real estate for every $1 that you create in profit, uh, whether it's by reducing expenses or increasing income, you generate 20 to $25 in profit in that because of the cap rate. Right. Yes. So, so this is your goal increase, anyway for the refinance and right. So, so, you know, for example, I, I got outbid on this property, but this one property I was looking at here in Florida was a hundred units and it didn't have washer dryers. I could add them. They would cost me about $80,000 for a hundred units but I'd be able to increase the rent $50 per unit. So that's $50 times 100, that's 6,000. Hmm. 6,000 times 12 is 72,000. And if you multiplied that by 20, 22, $23, which was the going cap rate in the market, you've got a $1.5 million lift on an $80,000 investment. I mean, that's, that, that's insane. Yeah. That's insane. So will I yeah. take a 70, 30 split with my investor on that? Yeah, sure, no sure. problem. Yeah. So uh, I know that you have your system already and you're teaching and coaching people. So how you manage to create your system for raising capital? Is this is, uh, started like, I, I know that you have books and uh, even you're coming and you're teaching, I think you're coming in Toronto on two weeks? Yeah, May, 4th, May 14th and 15th. Yeah. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, myself, Joe Fairless, we're going to be doing the multifamily conference. Correct. Uh, Pierre-Paul Turgeon is going to be doing the CMHC underwriting uh, teachings. Uh, yeah, that, that'll be a lot of fun. So, so that conference, uh, I'd spoke with uh, Seth, he's the uh, event organizer. He'd asked me to talk about uh, capital raising and I'll talk about what's called the easy system, which is uh, exclusive, abundance, scarce in your allocation. And it, essentially, it's, it, it's a compact way to create urgency with your investors without creating, you know, without sounding like a, I don't know, used car salesman, without trying to sound salesy and pushy because you know, you have your priorities, you have your timeline. So how do you present it in a way where you can build some real value with your potential investor and demonstrate the urgency and, 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 and the value in what you're doing without being pushy so that that's going to be a big part of that. So can you give and like a little bit, uh, a quick, Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Happy, happy to do it. So the, the easy system, easy is an acronym. E is exclusive. So in other words, you know, the exclusivity of an opportunity, a lot of people have a hard time breaking down what makes it what makes a deal exciting in a, in a way that everybody can understand. So I, I hear people talking about this all the time. Oh, yeah, the going in cap rate is this the going out cap rate is why we're paying X dollars per square foot and, you know, yada, yada. And it's just like, okay, great. You understand what that means. I understand what that means. But 99% of people, <laughs> even if they're brilliant, business owners, doctors, yeah. dentists, they don't understand you. So your passive so investor, you mean your partners. Right. Yeah. Right. So you got, you got to, you know, speak to me in terms of, Hey, the appraisal came in at $300,000 above what we locked it in for. That's great. I understand that. Tell me, Hey, there's the rents are at 1100 and the property next door is renting for 1450. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell me that it's on the corner of Maine and Maine where there's 10,000 cars that drive by every day. Tell me that there's a hospital down the street. 
tell me that you're right across the street from the airport or whatever the major employer is in the area. Tell me things that I, as a normal person, will go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I understand why people would live there. So that's the E in exclusive. A is for abundance. And you have to be able to demonstrate to an investor that although you value them and their interest in the opportunity, if they don't pursue it with you, that's okay because you have a ton of people to talk to that are also interested. Uh, a mistake that a lot of people that are doing real estate deals make is they they call their investor almost from this perspective of, hey, like, what do you think? Do, do you want to do this with me? Like, I need your help. And you're almost begging them to work with you. That, look, if you have a great deal and you have a lot of people to talk to, that should come across as, look, I have this opportunity. You know, I, I thought of you because it was something that sounded like what you wanted to look at. Um, and essentially, you're coming at them from a perspective of here's an opportunity that I wanted to share with you, as opposed to almost like begging them to bless the transaction. That That's really important. You're not uh, going to close a deal if you're begging. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, look, having, and, it, and if you're sitting there and you're like, well, Marcin, I don't have an abundance of people to talk to. Okay, that's something you can work on. So, you know, something else that we teach at M1 is how to create your own thought leadership, how to become somebody that has something to say in the context of your business, your industry, your sector. There's so many ways to be able to market yourself in a way that is true to who you are, but at the same time, you're delivering value. So, so that, that's a skill set. That, that's a process. You have to really nail down the things that make you interesting and worth listening to. That, that's, that, that's really what 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 that comes down to and that that takes time that, that really does take time. i think you have coaching uh, uh day coaching or boot camp on uh, on may 14 i saw it on your website oh yeah yeah so the week after the multifamily conference where we've got a full day boot camp that we're going to do how to raise capital so for people that buy a ticket to the multifamily conference you'll get a complimentary ticket to the boot camp i think we're uh we're selling tickets to that for 600 but they're free if people buy tickets to the multifamily hmm. Uh, event so yeah we'll we'll cover as much of this we can in a day but it's I, i'm trying to download 16 years of my life into a training and you know this is why we do the ongoing training and we have weekly calls in our inner circle because there's there's just so much that when you start to pick at the stuff it it it, it adds up there, there's a lot there 100 uh, so, so just to finish so e exclusive a abundant s is for scarcity so in other words how do you demonstrate scarcity? And, and there's two ways. One is the transaction itself. There's only a certain amount of money you need. You need 500 grand. You need $5 million. Whatever it is, once you got the money, you're done. You're finished. You're funded. There's a limitation there. That's important. Two is the timing. So in other words, if the closing is on the 30th of the month, that's the closing. And it's important that you can demonstrate the both the amount of money that you're only looking for and the timing of when you're closing so that there's an implied urgency there for the potential investor to participate in what you're doing. That's really important because some people go, oh yeah, sounds interesting, keep me posted. Okay, well, I'd love to keep you posted. I've already raised you know, three, three million of the $4 million. We've got a million dollars left. We're closing in 17 days, 23 days, whatever it is. You know, is this still priority for you? That kind of thing. It's it, it's important that you can demonstrate that you're going. This is happening. And, and again, the last piece is your allocation. So 
the conversation will evolve. They'll ask you questions. They'll bring up articles they read in the paper. Maybe their brother owns a property in the same market. They have some questions about this, that, whatever, but you can tell they're interested. So you can ask the question, all right, look, so I know you've got to do your own due diligence and you, you want to review everything and I'll send you the full package. But if everything did check out, what amount would you potentially consider? And if they're interested, they'll tell you, well, if everything checks out, I'd probably consider X or Y or whatever it is. Or if they're not feeling it, they'll tell you, look, I mean, it sounds interesting, but whatever the reason is, maybe they don't have the money, maybe they don't like the deal, maybe they don't like the market, but at least at that point, they can tell you and you can move forward and just carry on because not everything is a fit for everybody at all times. So you're just, you're just trying to figure out who wants to come on the ride with you, essentially. Well, what I like about you, Mars, and you and Joe Ferl is both of you, you jumped from couple of property and right away to multifamily big deals he didn't right. have this transition that i want to have 20 and then 40 and then 100 no you want to the the big chunk right away he understands the play that you have to work with leverage more so you can make more money i like this well, if you're going to do due diligence on a property, if you're going to put the time to put the offer together, why put in all that effort on a 20 unit building? And, and look, I'm not saying that 20 unit buildings aren't great deals. They could be the best deals out there. But in terms of a return on equity and returns on, 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 on things like this, but they're typically a horrible return on your time because right. the amount of energy that it requires to take a 20 unit building down and a hundred unit building down is typically the same. You I think that the difference always is uh, when the people are listening, especially from Canada, because you don't understand the price wise in US, uh, you're dealing with different animal on US. So hundred building on Florida is five, six million here in Toronto is 50 million. Well, so, so I wish it was five, six million. Today, uh, a long time back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Today like 10, 15, like 10, 10, 10 to 15, 10, 15, yeah. I'm sorry, but, yeah. Yeah. but all things considered, I mean, that same hundred units in Toronto is 40 million. So yes, yeah. uh, the, 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 the economics are, are, are quite different, but, but even, even irrespective of that, you have just a, a certain scale that you can hit with a larger property uh, that, that, you know, it is commensurate more so with the US than Canada, but ultimately, if you're going to think, I mean, you know, love him or hate him, Donald Trump always said, if you're going to think, think big. 100%. And he's right. You know, if you're, if yeah. you're thinking anyway, <laughs> yeah. think bigger. Uh, we're running off time. I know that you're busy. So, um, influential mentor, I know that you're coach and you're mentor yourself, but who is your influential mentor in your career so far? Hmm. <laughs> Hard. I've had, I've had, I've had several. Uh, yeah. Most, most recently, you know what? There's a book that I keep rereading. I'll share it with you. It's called "The Obstacle Is the Way" by a guy named Ryan Holiday. Yeah. And that book is something that I reread, reread on an annual basis because it is uh, tremendous. It's, it's rooted in something called stoicism, and stoicism is essentially the concept of nothing happens to you, everything happens for you. So in other words, you're dealt a hand of cards in your life. It could be a good deck, it could be a shitty deck. It doesn't matter what you're dealt, it's what you do with it that, that really you know, will empower you to, to, to move forward with your life. If you, if you take on life thinking from a perspective of, you know, as a victim, hmm. 
you're 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 just you're that you're you're a victim whereas if you look at things and you go oh okay well that that's inconvenient but here's what i can do with that because that happened now i can learn this or this happened to me great because that happened i now have a chance to learn how to deal with this how to address this and having that mentality is is is, is tremendous because in real estate, in, in multifamily real estate, commercial real estate, whatever it is, look, everybody can make it sound like, oh, yeah, we're all making these millions of dollars and having a great time and partying on boats and Lamborghinis and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of crap that you have to work through mm-hmm. on a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis. So having that mentality, that headstrong mentality, be able to work through things and know that things happen for you, not to you, is is, is probably been the biggest uh, thing that has helped me push forward through all kinds of situations over the years. So uh, again, another thing we were talking about that you think you mentioned that you did a lot so much so far. So you're saying that in some meeting you feel still small. So what is your next goal? What how you can feel that you're uh, bigger? Because well, I mean, my my next goal is I mean, we've done. Like I said, I've, I've, I've sourced well into nine figures on the equity side and that's bought whatever thousands of doors. Uh, at, at this point, my goal is to build out and I'm in the process of it to build out a, a really strong team of people that are like-minded around me so that we can acquire, you know, a thousand doors a year rather than, you know, what people are doing over their entire career. I, I'm building out the infrastructure, the team, the structure, all of this so that we can uh, be able to secure, you know, a thousand doors a year. And that's, that, that, that's my goal. Now, is that going to take me a few years to, or another year or two to build up to that volume? Potentially it could happen in six months. It could take longer, but that is the next uh, audacious goal that, 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 that I want to build out on my side. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot for, for your time today. I, I appreciate your time and we would like to have you back again when you have time. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Adam, for having me. You're, uh, you're a great host. You ask good questions and happy to come back.